Welcome to the Hill City Church Podcast. We are a church family located in Springfield, Missouri. You can learn more about us and support our ministries at hillcitysgf.org. Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs, and the Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell the decree the Lord said to me, You are my son, today I have begotten you. As for me, and I will make the nations your heritage. And the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry, and you perish in the way. For his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. This is the word of the Lord. You guys can grab a seat. Good morning, Hill City. My name is Aaron Nelson, and I have the honor of being the Salt Company Director here at Hill City, which is our college ministry. Um, okay, so I'm in my mid-20s, and here's something I'm quickly learning in my 20s, is that you learn a lot about yourself in your 20s. Um, for a multitude of reasons, people learn a lot about themselves. I have three main ones that are lending themselves to me learning. One, I'm married. And you learn a lot about yourself in marriage. I haven't been married for that long and I already feel like um, I know myself a lot better, the good, the bad, and the ugly for sure. Two, um, I'm learning what it means to be like a self-sustaining adult like, you know, paying taxes and paying bills, stuff like that. Um, learning how, all kinds of stuff about myself. You guys have any tips? 25 is hard. I could use it. Um, and third, I'm in counseling. And so put all three of those things together, and it's a concoction to learn a lot about yourself. And here's, like, the number one thing I'm learning. I love to be in control. Like, I really like to control my life. Um, one of the ways I've been viewing my life is like a game of chess. Like if I, if I put all of the pieces in the right places to set myself up for success, um, achievements for people to like me, then my life will go well to, to receive all the relationships I want to receive. Um, and so due to wanting to be in control of my life, um, that causes a lot of anxiety because newsflash, I'm definitely not in control of my life. Um, and so there ends up being a lot of anxiety that comes from that and so today, as we're in Psalms 2, um, the Psalms we're in today is, has been really convicting to me. The Lord's been working on my own heart a lot. Um, it's been challenging to me, and it's also been really encouraging to me. And so I'm excited to, to jump into Psalm 2 today. But before we jump in, let's do a recap of Psalm 1 last week. Last week, Brad talked about um, how we are not to be in the counsel of the wicked, the wicked being those that are apart from God. Um, and instead, we are to meditate on the law, or in other words, his word, the Bible. To meditate on his law. Um, and, and Brad told us last week, we, we all are going away. Either away from God or towards God. Um, and, and what we learn eventually is that Jesus is the way that we're called to. Jesus. And here's what I want us to remember as we go throughout today. Psalm 1 and Psalm 2 are heavily connected, right? There's a lot of overlap between the two of them. And so a lot of people actually refer to the first two chapters of Psalms as like the prologue to the rest of the Psalms. Um, and so there's going to be some overlap today as we talk. Um, and we need to keep that in mind as we go through today's Psalm. Sound good? Let's do it. All right, so verses 1 through 3, right, something... Um, I want us to know, this is my belief, some, some people think this was written anonymously. I think um, Psalm 2 was written by David, as is stated by Luke in Acts, um, Acts 4. 
um, refers back to the Psalm 2 and it gives authority and authorship to David. So David here writes about the nations raging and the people plotting in vain and how these, these authority figures are taking counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. So if we see our first bit of overlap from Psalm 1 here, we get, we get this talk about counsel, right? And there's this wicked counsel together coming against the Lord. I think to summarize verses 1 through 3 as we look at it, here's what we can look at these and say. These people are trying to take authority away from God, right? They're trying to make it their own. They want to have authority over their own life, dominion over those around them. Not only do they want to take authority, they actually view God's authority as like bondage, right? We see this, this, they talk about how they want to burst the bonds and cast the cords away. Not only do they view it as bondage and they want to get it off, they want to throw it far away from them. Like they want out from under God's authority. They want to have authority in their own life. And part of the authority we have to understand in Psalm 2 is that they're also under the authority of God's plan for salvation through David, King David. David would be writing this in light um, of God's plan for salvation through Israel's kingship. We'll get to that a little later. Um, but God has already put something in place to have authority over the nation of Israel. And these people that are plotting are wanting to take God's plan and come up with their own plan or even take the throne themselves instead of following God's plan here. So Dave, you guys ever see something like so ludicrous that you just like can only do something nothing else but like ask a question? Seems like that's what David's doing here. Like he's like baffled that people are trying to take authority away from God. Like it just doesn't make sense. So he asks a question, why? Why are they trying to take authority from God? Why are they raging and plotting? Um, and I think it can be really easy as Christians to read this text and look at people outside of this room. Like, yeah, why do people do that? Why do people not want to be under the authority of God? And I think it can be easy to think I would never. When we go to Romans 3, we're reminded says, what then? Are we Jews better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. We are rebellious. We rebel. The people in this room, since Genesis 3, we have been rebelling against God's authority. I think a big way in which we do this now um, is we look at the way God has authority over us and we, we actually twist it through the lens of our experience. Our experience is quickly becoming our authority. How we see the world interact, how we see relationships function, how we look at politics and how we look at things like sexuality and we just have our experiences and those define our authority. Oftentimes we say, my experience is the authority here. But I think that, that, that leads to the question, okay, what happens then when your experience doesn't line up with God's authority? At that point, who has authority? Is it your experience or is it the creator of the universe? And so David is left with this why. Why are we trying to take control and authority away from the creator? And as you can imagine, that, would, that makes God feel some type of way. Right? We get to verse 4 through 6 and we see like God's response to these people. God's response to the plotters. Says he who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision, then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, 
my holy hill. So as I was reading these verses, um, I thought of my mom. Um, and not that I think my mom is like God. Um, but God's reaction here, maybe some of the parents in this room will relate to this. You ever been so mad that you can't do anything but laugh before you get angry? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, my mom would do this sometimes, and when she would do this, I knew things were getting really real. Um, things were going in a bad direction. Um, I would say something disrespectful, like, I, I don't think I ever said this, but, you know, like, that's dumb. That's stupid. That doesn't make any sense. And my mom would go, <laughs> and I'd, oh my God, oh my. The head back was always the worst part. I knew I was in trouble. Um, and then she would, you know, come after me. And give me, I, my mom's from the South, if you consider Oklahoma the South, so you can imagine what that was like. Um, and it would typically end with a statement of the sorts. Some of you might know this. Finish it with me if you do. Um, I brought you into this world and I can take you out. Yeah, I got that a lot. Here's the thing. My mom's laughter was because it's just funny that I thought I had any authority to be disrespectful to her. She's like, you're eight. Who are you? Like, why are you saying, why are you pretending like you have any authority in this household? It's obvious you don't. And I think that's what God's laughter is like here in this text. Like, listen, rulers and, the, like, rulers and kings of the nations, you're eight. You have no authority. I'm the one in authority. And his laughter could seem like mocking. I don't think he's necessarily mocking the image bearers here, the people. He's mocking evil. The fact that evil has, thinks it has any authority to stand on. It's like a funny thought to God. Who do you think you are? Right? If he can bring something into this world, he can take it out. But quickly, God's laughter turns to anger. It says that he speaks to them in his wrath. This speaks word, um, a Hebrew word for speak in other forms is seen as subdued. Like to subdue something. And I think what's being communicated here in this psalm is that all people, he's specifically talking to the rulers and kings, are going to be subdued to God's judgment. To God's wrath one day. And here's the reality. I think we've gotten to a point in the world, because our experience is our authority, I think we've gotten to a point in the world where we only um, like to talk about the nice parts of God, like the kind parts of God. We love God's love, right, and how through his love he is patient and kind and gracious, which is true. Right? God is the most loving being there ever has been and ever will be. And God is also wrathful. He's wrathful, and his wrath is justified and righteous. And, and it's not that his wrath is necessarily meant to be aimed at the people he created, but it is aimed towards sin. The thing that mars his image bearers, the things that has that the thing that turns his beautiful creation dirty, sin. And it angers him. And I think that's the anger we see here from David, that David's talking about from God on the, these plotters, these rulers and kings, as he's angry at their sinful need to rebel against God. And that still stands true today. Those who are apart from God or want authority or control over their own life and don't want to submit to the Lord are subject to his wrath. That is, just as that is just as true today as it is in Psalms 2. And then he goes into this next part about setting his king on Zion, his holy hill. Here's what he's saying here is, listen, God's saying, I've already set the plan. Like, I have already set 
the Davidic kings like David and his offspring on the throne of Israel. The plan is already in motion. He has already set aside the anointed ones. And this just speaks to God's sovereignty. God's supreme authority and power. That he is the one ultimately in control. And even as we see him laughing here, let's notice his location. Where is he sitting? In heaven. Notice the authoritative language even in that. When you sit in heaven, what are you above? Everything. Compared to these rulers and kings, what do they sit above? A city? Their throne is over a city compared to the God who is above everything. God's authority is infinite. It has no bounds. And when we defy that authority, his wrath is served. And many who hear that think, I don't want any part in that, right? I don't want part in God's wrath and judgment. Here's what I'll tell you, that's a good place to be, actually. I don't either. And David is going to get to how we avoid this wrath and this judgment, but first he acknowledges the Davidic covenant, right? In verses 7 through 9, he acknowledges the Davidic covenant. And in this, here's what we're going to do. We're actually going to jump to 2 Samuel because this is actually David reflecting upon and recalling of, of something that happened in the past. In 2 Samuel 7, it'll be on the screen behind me. Here's some context for what's happening here. David comes to this prophet Nathan and said, listen, like, hey, I live in a house of cedar. And the Ark of the Covenant, which is where God's presence resides, is in a tent. That doesn't make sense. Let's put God, the presence of God, somewhere better than even I'm in. And Nathan says, okay, go for it. But then the Lord comes to Nathan, this prophet, and gives him a prophecy to speak over David. And that's where we enter in right here in 2 Samuel 7, 12. This is Nathan speaking to David on God's behalf. He says, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, so when you're dead, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of the kingdom forever. I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. We notice a parallel between the psalm passage right here. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men, but my steadfast love will not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. So this is the promise God makes to David. I will establish your throne forever. God is giving a human king to the nation of Israel, not as a replacement of God, but as a representative on God's behalf. And so this Davidic king, whether it's David or Solomon or whoever comes in the future, they will be known as the sons of God. So it's metaphorical terminology. Sons of God. It's like a way of knowing this king is a representative of God. They're not actually the son of God. And they, whoever these kings are in the future, are going to be, they will rule with might and authority. You see this, this talk of disciplining with rod of men, stripes of the sons of men on them if they commit iniquity. So they're not going to get everything. They will still be disciplined, but God's love will not depart from them. I think what's, what David is doing here in Psalm 2, 7 through 9, is he remind, he's reminding the kings and the rulers of his plan. Right, the plan's already in motion. We're seeing rip, some repetition here. Right? He keeps reminding them, hey, who's in authority? Who is setting things in action? And this prophecy, this thing that David speaks about, what he doesn't realize is this statement is much bigger than a king over Israel. It's way more than someone on a throne over a nation. It extends way past David. And it's going to come in a way much different than even David knows. 
And then we get into the end of this psalm. We get this call to respond. How to respond to realizing that any effort to take authority from God is laughable. And how as we continue to try to rebel and take authority, God's wrath will be received by those who do so. And so David gives a, how to respond to this news. He says, now, therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way. For his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Here's what I want us to realize before we go any farther. This warning from David is so kind. These, these uh, rulers and kings are not only plotting against God's authority, but they're actually also plotting against David's authority. It's his throne. Like they're plotting to take away his and his offspring's throne. And yet the kindness of David here to warn them, be wise. And he gives them two ways in which to be wise. First is the call to serve the Lord. To serve the Lord. And this is, once again, another reminder, submit yourselves. That's what to serve means, is to submit to the Lord. That's what he's telling them. Don't try to take authority. Submit to his ultimate authority. That is wisdom. Submit to the creator of the universe. Don't try to become like the creator and have the authority of the creator. And the second part of wisdom is rejoice with trembling. That's how most of our Bibles read. If you have the ESV, um, it's, it says rejoice with trembling. And that is one of two different translations or interpretations of this phrase rejoice with trembling. This one carries this idea of like reverence, like being in awe of the power of the Lord, like submitting and seeing and just almost bringing about, it's bringing about fear because something is so powerful. It's like Midwesterners when they go and look at a tornado. It's like, it's, but really it's like you just, this power of this thing that's so big, it's like that reverence, that awe. The second interpretation of this phrase though is to repent with terror. Um, and, and I actually think this interpretation makes more sense given the literary context of everything that's going on here. I think the call to the rulers and kings at the time was to turn away from what they were doing, to repent with fear, to understand that God is an authority and his wrath is coming upon you. So there's fear that's invoked. So turn away from that way. Stop what you're doing. Turn to the ultimate authority. And he finishes it out with kiss the sun. Kiss the sun and talks about his anger more. This kiss the sun is another, what they would do is they would kiss the, the, the ring or sometimes they'd kiss the feet of a king as a sign of honor, sign of submission um, and respect. And once again, he talks about the, the wrath of God, the anger of God, which is quickly kindled. And then we get to the last verse in chapter two. And I think this is really the pinnacle of this whole text. I think it even could be the pinnacle from all the way from the beginning of chapter one to here, because David starts Psalm one with bless, and here we're ending Psalm two with bless. He bookends it. So I think this is like what David is wanting to point us to right here. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. This word blessed, we talked about it last week, means to be happy or content, delighted or joyous. So happy are those who take refuge in him. Content are those who take refuge in him. This idea of taking refuge is, is an idea talked about a decent amount in the Psalms. We see it come about in a few different places. And typically when it comes up, um, it's contrasting two parties. One party who is wicked, who is apart from God, contrasted to the other party who fears the Lord. 
And the person who fears the Lord is the one who, who ends up in the refuge of the Lord. And this refuge, refuge word simply means this, to seek protection. To, to, to bring this into a little more modern mindset, when I was in college, I went on a spring break trip down to Arizona, um, and we got the chance to go down there and work with Somalian refugees. Um, and it was an incredible experience, and I got to learn a lot about these refugees. Um, and here's what I grew to understand what a refugee actually was, like the technical way they talked about refugees, is it's people who seek safe haven from violence or dispute in their homeland. Refugee, refuge, seeking safe haven from violence. So we are content, or for these people, the people David is writing to, they are content when they seek safe haven in the Davidic kings that are to come. Seeking protection, and they're blessed when they do so. I think this blessed, as it talks about here, is actually in contrast to the raging we hear David talk about earlier. Why do the nations rage? Um, rage mean, can mean restless. Why are the nations restless? So those who plot are restless, and those who seek refuge in God are content. See the contrast. There is contentment in taking refuge in God's authority. So at the time this is written, here's, here's what these people are seeing. They're seeing a command, uh, uh, exhortation to submit to the authority of the Davidic kings. That's what they're seeing. And, and maybe they're even getting a taste of some of the Jesus language that we see in here. If you read your Bible, you guys are probably seeing it too as we're going through this. Like Jesus is written all over this psalm. But they are looking towards Israel's kingship. But as we come here, we're actually on the other side of Jesus coming. They're, they're awaiting the day he comes. We are on the other side of when he comes. And so as we read this, we get to remember that the Old Testament is just as much Jesus' Bible as the New Testament. So we see Jesus, that promise to David of his throne being established, it's established through Jesus. Jesus comes from the household of David. And it's, instead, Jesus is not a king who sits on the throne over a city. He's a king who sits on the throne of the universe. Jesus is the actual anointed one. He is actually the king that God has sat on Zion's hill. It is through him that we find refuge. Jesus is the better David. He is the actual son of God, not the metaphorical son of God of God. And Jesus is the king who deserves ultimate submission from us. What I love about Psalm 2 is it really feels like the gospel narrative in 12 verses. You have the first bit where we see humans rebelling. When you come to the middle, and you see God's wrath kindled worked up, and then you get to the end, and you see God's grace, and how he grants protection from his wrath. It's the gospel narrative in 12 verses. And that protection is granted through Jesus' life, death, resurrection. And so yes, as we talk about God's wrath and God's anger, We don't have to be the ones to wear it. Like Ephesians says, we are hidden in Christ. We are hidden from God's wrath. In Jesus, Romans 8 says, there's no condemnation for those who stand with Christ. That is our refuge. That is our protection. So I think what David leaves us with Two things we need to believe every day. Two things we need to continue to return to in our walks as followers of Jesus. And it's first this, God's authority is what ultimately satisfies. 
God's authority is what ultimately satisfies. It has always been in his authority to be in control. It's not in ours. It's not in the ones running governments. It is in authority is ultimately in the hands of God. And Jesus was always his plan. And evil has this way of like twisting this idea of God's authority and makes us think having an authority over our life is bad. But like God's authority in our life is comforting. Like he's a good ruler. He's a caring and loving authority figure. He's the better king. And we go back to Psalm 1. How do we access, access this authority? Through his word, meditating, and delighting in his word. His authority is what ultimately satisfies. And second, Jesus' authority over sin is our only refuge. It's the only safe haven. When we choose to submit to him, is when we're ultimately protected, when we are granted protection and God's wrath has been deflected from us because of Jesus. Just how the rulers and kings, David tells them like, listen, you are going to be content if you seek refuge in Jesus. It's the same truth that stands true for us. Hill City Church, the only place we can seek refuge is in Jesus. And we live in a world that wants to tell us there are hundreds of thousands of millions of different ways to find satisfaction and to find protection. Find satisfaction in money, achievements, attention, whatever it might be. This world can provide something to offer to you to satisfy you. You can run to your job, to relationships, to success, as the things to protect you. And it's just not true. Psalm 2 lets us see that. Parents in the room, your kids are not going to fulfill you. Actually, you're not even their ultimate authority. You are an authority in their life. Your job is to actually point them to the ultimate authority. Young marrieds in the room, which I'm one of, your job, your career is not going to protect you. No matter how much you climb the ladder, Your job is not, you're, you're, it's just not going to protect you. It's not safe. Empty nesters, no amount of traveling and golf is going to do it. You're just going to have to travel more and golf more. It's not enough. College students, no relationship is going to make you whole. No amount of romantic relationships, friendships, getting things right with your parents is ever going to make you whole. It's never going to complete you. The only place that that is found is in Jesus. He is the only thing that ultimately satisfies and ultimately protects. No matter what this world has to offer.